The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by DXC Technology. Let us show you the way to your digital future. Thrive on change. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, March 23rd. In today's news, the stimulus package to respond to the coronavirus hits a speed bump. A senator finds out he tested positive moments after swimming in the congressional pool. And German Chancellor Angela Merkel is placed under quarantine as Canada announces it won't send anyone to the Summer Olympics. But first, the big idea. Richie Torres, who's only 32 years old, a New York City councilman from the Bronx, first had nothing more than a general sickly feeling when he came down with the coronavirus. Then came a bad headache. He felt terrible. But for Torres, the worst effects of COVID-19 so far have been mental. He says it's psychologically unsettling to know he's carrying a virus that could harm his loved ones. The youngest member of the New York City Council tested positive last Monday after his chief of staff tested positive the previous weekend. He's now under quarantine at his Bronx apartment. Busy with his job on the council and his campaign for Congress, he was unable to stockpile supplies as the contagion hit the Big Apple. He's been asking deliverers to drop off his meals at a safe distance. The Reverend Jaden Hartsuff, who's 42 years old, an Episcopal priest in D.C., felt drained after a Sunday service on February 23rd, so he took a nap. No big deal. Services can be tiring. The next day at the gym, his muscles ached. He became fatigued, feverish, slightly dizzy. He kept telling people he felt spongy, like a kitchen sponge. Mike Sag, 64, an infectious disease doctor in Alabama, developed a cough, like a smoker's hack. He was bone tired. His mind was foggy. About five days in, the misery intensified. These stories were all offered in recent days by people across the United States who now know the new coronavirus and the disease it causes intimately. In sharing their experiences with our reporters, they're helping to demystify an alarming contagion. COVID-19 can be a severe illness, even deadly, of course, but it varies from person to person, and most people with a confirmed infection do not require hospitalization. It can induce intense fatigue and trigger a recurring cough and intermittent fever. It's a slow-developing illness, and it lingers. The whole process typically plays out in weeks rather than days. One thing we heard over and over from people who have the virus is that they've lost their ability to smell and taste. That may be a clue that you're infected. SAG, the doctor who teaches at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, fully understands the biological processes that take place when a virus invades the body. He knows, for example, that his immune system is what's generating the symptoms, like the fever. He became sick after a long drive from the Northeast home to Alabama, and last Monday night he experienced rigors, his body shaking uncontrollably. It was his immune system saying, as Dr. SAG put it, Hey, let's fight this sucker off. Still, even with his own medical background, he had to suppress the natural fear any of us would feel. His advice to other victims, stay calm, monitor yourself. The number one thing to keep an eye on is breathing. And if it becomes difficult to breathe, you really should get to a hospital. Jim, a 34-year-old from Long Island who asked that his last name be withheld, had mild symptoms for several days and then abruptly developed shortness of breath, fever, and chest pains. Now, more than two weeks after his symptoms began, Jim's still having difficulty breathing. He's gone to urgent care twice, and he's been in communication with the local health department, 
but they told him he should just treat himself at home. He's living in the guest room downstairs while his wife and two children live upstairs. They leave food at the door for him. Ann Kornblut, who's only 47 years old, is now a Facebook executive in Palo Alto, California, but she used to be one of my colleagues here at the Washington Post before moving west. On March 11th, she suddenly developed a headache not long after she returned home from a business trip to New York City. She had to get in bed and go to sleep. She says the coronavirus hit her like a truck. But her symptoms then came and went. At times, she just felt under the weather. Although she didn't think she had COVID-19, she managed to get a test. And last Sunday, she was on the treadmill, feeling better when her doctor called and said she was positive. She says the health department called to inform her to stay away from everyone, including her own children. She wondered who would take care of her kids if her husband tested positive too. The public health nurse she talked to said they haven't had that scenario yet. The nurse offered to call Ann back, but never did. By late Friday night, Ann's fever had spiked again, and she had another terrible headache. And her husband, John, who used to work with us at the Post as well, had tested positive. Remember, Ann's only 47. We're hearing a lot of stories about men and women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s getting hit hard by this. And then there's the story of Natasha Ott, only 39. She felt the beginnings of a cold coming on and had a slight fever. The medical clinic where she worked in New Orleans had only a handful of tests for the coronavirus. She initially passed on the chance to take one after a doctor told her she was low risk. When her symptoms didn't shake, she did take the test last Monday. By Thursday, she felt something in her lungs, her longtime boyfriend Josh Anderson told the Times-Picayune, but she still felt well enough by then to join him, and the couple walked her dog. Then on Friday, Josh found Natasha dead in her kitchen. Her test results still hadn't come back yet. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start what's going to be another terrible week. Number one, lawmakers had hoped to pass an enormous $1.8 trillion bill today to respond to the coronavirus, but last night they were scrambling to revive talks with the stock market poised for another sharp drop today and households and businesses fretting about an uncertain future. Negotiations continued past midnight, even as the initial procedural vote fell short, with 47 senators voting for it and 47 opposed. They needed 60 votes to move forward past cloture. Ever since Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Kentucky Republican, introduced the legislation Thursday night, senators have missed one self-imposed deadline after another to reach a deal. The vote last night was delayed three hours so that talks could continue after it became clear the vote would fail, but no resolution was reached and the vote failed anyway. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin played shuttle diplomacy all afternoon and past midnight, exiting the Capitol right around midnight after his sixth face-to-face -face meeting with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York. While Schumer struck an upbeat tone, as Mnuchin did, saying he's hopeful a deal can be reached later today. McConnell left the Capitol visibly angry and blaming Schumer for blowing up an emerging deal. If the sides don't reach another pact by this afternoon, a series of votes will unfold that are likely to be a replay of Sunday's blocked path, except this time the financial markets will be open and trading. Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis President James Bullard told Bloomberg News yesterday that the unemployment rate could hit 30% between April and June because of mass layoffs that we're seeing. That would be worse than the Great Depression. In interviews with more than a dozen laid-off workers and a small business owner this weekend, nearly all said their biggest economic concern right now is paying the rent or the mortgage on April 1st. 
Senate Democrats and Republicans spent Friday and Saturday negotiating, and both sides were making progress. But then McConnell decided late Saturday that he was going to move forward and draft a Republican bill, even though there wasn't a final deal yet. Then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi responded that House Democrats might chart their own course and release their own bill, which would put the Democratic-led House and the Republican-led Senate on different tracks and delay final agreement. The major sticking point right now is a $500 billion pool of money for loans and loan guarantees that Republicans want to create. Democrats are labeling it a slush fund because the Treasury Department and Mnuchin specifically would have broad discretion over who receives the money and they wouldn't even have to tell the American people right away who's getting taxpayer bailouts. There's little precedent for a program with a similar size and scope. The biggest subset of this $500 billion fund would be $425 billion in loans and loan guarantees meant to rescue eligible businesses, states, or municipalities. Trump's already talked about how he wants to help the cruise ship industry and the hotel industry, but dozens of other industries are also pleading for assistance as well. The section of the draft bill also includes $50 billion for passenger airlines, $8 billion for cargo air firms, and $17 billion for companies deemed critical to our national security something that is not defined in the legislation. The legislation, as drafted by Senate Republicans, also does not include any meaningful restrictions on the companies that receive taxpayer money. For example, businesses are required to maintain the same employment levels they had as of March 13th, quote, to the extent practicable, but it doesn't define what practicable means. The bill does appear to prohibit stock buybacks at firms that receive the emergency loans and gives the Treasury Department the opportunity to take equity stakes in the firm's so that taxpayers could benefit if a firm regains its financial footing. President Trump, though, last night would not rule out filling his own pockets with taxpayer bailout money for his hotels if this legislation passes. And we may not know until after the election if he does so. Number two, Rand Paul, the Kentucky Republican senator, became the first member of that body to test positive for the coronavirus. His office says he's feeling fine and is now in quarantine. They said he's asymptomatic and was tested out of an abundance of caution because he travels so much and has been to so many events. Paul's office added that virtually no staff had contact with him since his DC office began operating remotely 10 days ago. But word of Paul's diagnosis prompted two of his fellow senators, Republicans Mike Lee and Mitt Romney, both of Utah, to announce that they will self-quarantine because of their recent contacts with him. Paul received his test results on Sunday morning, according to his deputy chief of staff. But Jerry Moran, the Republican from Kansas, told fellow senators that Paul was working out in the Senate gym on Sunday morning. Moran also said that Paul was swimming in the pool yesterday where several other senators swam as well. Paul's deputy chief of staff said that the senator left the building as soon as he got the test results. Now, Romney, who's 73, said he also has no symptoms but will be tested. He's especially nervous because his wife, Anne, has multiple sclerosis and is therefore especially vulnerable to the coronavirus. Other Republican senators appeared unnerved as well. The news prompted several to call for the chamber to allow for votes to be cast remotely. Paul took part in Friday's Senate Republican luncheon at the Capitol, and he was the lone senator to vote no earlier this month on the $8.3 billion emergency spending measure to fight the outbreak. And he was among eight senators to vote no on the relief package last week that ensures paid sick leave for many Americans. Number three. Olympic officials facing mounting pressure are finally considering a postponement to the summer games in Tokyo. Canada said last night that it will not send any of its athletes to compete this summer, becoming the first country to refuse to participate. Others are expected to follow, which will put pressure on the Olympic Committee. 
As Italy's death toll leaps by hundreds every day, a frantic Europe is scrambling for hospital beds, ventilators, and medical supplies. A team of firefighters and volunteers turned a 15,000-square-foot convention center hall in Vienna into a new 880-bed coronavirus hospital over the weekend. Soldiers in Germany, France, and Spain have been deployed to help build similar temporary facilities for thousands of patients. Across Europe, tens of thousands of nurses and doctors are being graduated early from medical school or called back from retirement. Countries are competing against one another for medical supplies on an international market that has been sucked dry. To address shortages, Spanish clothing manufacturers are turning their lines into making medical masks, and Parisian perfumers are producing hand sanitizers in an effort that harkens back to wartime efforts. As the number of critically ill rises, analysts expect even the continent's best-prepared health systems to be stretched to and then past their limits. German Chancellor Angela Merkel was placed under quarantine after being treated on Friday by a doctor who then tested positive for the virus. Spain extended its national lockdown for another 15 days. Britain notified 1.5 million people with serious health issues that they should not leave their homes at all for the next 12 weeks. In India, the largest cities, home to more than 65 million people, have gone into lockdown. Pakistan also locked down an entire province and has banned international flights into the country to slow the spread. Hong Kong has banned tourists and transiting passengers from coming on the island. It's also banned the sale of alcohol in bars and restaurants after a jump in infections there. And Israel has had to modify funeral rituals. Arya Even, a Holocaust survivor, passed away this weekend from the virus at 88. The nurse who cared for him apologized on social media that his body could not be washed in the ritual way because antiviral safety protocols now trump tradition. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, March 23rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.